0: This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and our topic today is the production of The Nutcracker at the House, which is playing at Chopin Theater in December. This is an adaptation of the story we all know, but it's quite different in important ways. And here to talk to me about it are Jake Minton, who is one of the writers and also uh, an actor in the show, and Tommy Rapley, who's the director and choreographer. So, welcome. Thank Thanks. you. Um, I'm interested in talking about the evolution of this show, first from whenever the idea occurred to somebody and why and what the intent was, through the production you had, I think three years ago, is that right, mm-hmm. at Steppenwolf uh, in the garage? Was that?
1: It was actually in the upstairs. Upstairs. Theory, I didn't yet. see that
0: production. And now to your remounting at um, Chopin Theater. And as I understand that there's been quite an evolution in the show. So maybe the place to start, though, is. Um, you know how it began at all. Whose idea was it to adapt the Nutcracker, and what was your intent?
2: Um, so Phil Clapric had uh, done some pretty successful adaptations for the company. He did the terrible tragedy of Peter Pan, which was kind of our our first big hit. First big hit, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then also wrote the great and terrible Wizard of Oz, um, which I directed in two thousand five. Um, and so we were kind of looking for the the third of those, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and hit upon this idea of a holiday play uh, for the company and, and this idea of the, the Nutcracker being kind of the n- the next of what we have um, kind of affectionately termed as Phil's terrible adaptations. Um, and
0: terrible doesn't probably mean quality in that <laughs> No, in, in that
2: we're talking about the kind of uh, the n- tragic nature of them, like mm-hmm. looking at those um, stories that are so familiar to us as tragedies. Mm-hmm. Uh instead of as kind of childhood um fantasy fantasy
1: you know with a little gumdrop ending or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So
0: And all three of those stories, source stories, have a lot of kind of psychological depth, so I can see I mean at least potentially.
1: Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. I can see why <clears throat> they're a triumvirate. We found with the Nutcracker, uh in, in looking at the source material, the the little novella by E. T. A. Hoffman, that there was uh Lots of really interesting symbology at play in the story, but ultimately it's not really the story that our company is interested in, which is like uh i mean it's kind of a it's a very victorian kind of fluff piece yeah, yeah. idea about you know like a a girl helps the brave male warrior and and then uh the magic is dissolved and and they, you know, they fall around. in love. It's kind right. of a Cinderella, Snow White kind of right. Disney princess sort of thing.
0: So, but there were yeah. elements that you kept. It is recognizable. Yeah, the symbols.
1: There's lots of really great symbols. I mean, the idea of of turning someone into a Nutcracker is yeah, awesome. Yeah, kind of
2: transformation and uh, uh, being swept away into a, a land of like imagination and yeah. and mm-hmm. fantasy.
1: Battling a. a a a king role. of rodents that already exists inside your house and things like that are, are
2: pretty cool. You know, I had a I had a lot of uh, a lot of experience with the ballet is kind of a, a, a huge influence on me as I directed the play just because I performed it for so long.
0: Mm.
2: I think I've done as every, a child.
0: Did you? Or? Uh, no,
2: uh, um, uh, I I had a uh, before I came to Chicago was a danced professionally with a company called Ballet Memphis in uh-huh. Memphis Tennessee and then here for. And then here for a year in Chicago with uh, the Joffrey, oh. um, and so have performed the Nutcracker right. ev- probably every year since I was 16, right. um, and managed to perform every role in it except for the Cavalier Prince. What? I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's time for your comeback. It's time for my <laughs> comeback. Um, so there are there a lot of things about the ballet that I hold near and dear to my heart, and mm-hmm. and also found to be ultimately very empty. Um in all those years of performing it, I doubt I could have ever really told you what the story was. Right, right. Um, You know, or, or why we were telling it. It was all about the pageantry of the second act. Mm-hmm. And the first act is where you get, if any story in the ballet at all, is where you kind of get the, the meat of it. And it's about right. a party scene and like a, a family and a the girl who goes on a journey and she fights, you know, this mouse king right. and, uh, and then gets swept away. So I think that, that we ultimately ended up focusing a lot of our our story on that stuff
1: and those things. But we we saw the potential for uh, telling a story, kind of that that uh, is part of our ethic at the house. And um,
0: what would you say stories. that is? Well, since you made the mistake of letting those words come uh, out of your mouth, now I'm messed up. <laughs> we
2: uh, <laughs> well, I think that we we try. Uh, in terms of our the ethic of our work is hugely centered around engaging the audience's imagination um, so that they are a part of the story uh, and the storytelling in order to draw them in. Um, that uh, Hopefully, ideally, we lead them through the course of that story to some sort of emotional catharsis, whether that be like jumping to your feet and cheering or laughing as hard as you've ever laughed or weeping um, along with the person next to you and holding their hand. We just try and lead them to something that is cathartic and and then hopefully they feel closer to the people around them. Um, I think it's kind of like our uber goal for the stories that we tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw a lot of potential for that in Nutcracker.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, and one of my uh, personal things in a lot of the plays that I've worked on as a writer, um, which, which many people in the company are kind of interested in as well, is the idea of... Um, Using story and theater as a as a safe place to practice yeah. in public with a community of friends and family and strangers, um, the big emotions that are
2: inevitable inevitable
1: in our own lives. So practicing things like grief in a public space with our families and friends around us
2: mm-hmm.
1: is, I think, a really uh, awesome tool that the theater specifically can provide better than any other artistic medium.
0: That's a really interesting articulation of it. I like that. To go back to um to your point about um engaging audiences. Mm -hmm. It is a key element of theater. It seems to me it's an element of all theater though. So how are you I mean what's your specific spin on it? I mean theater isn't good unless the imagination of the audience is engaged. What so try to just be a little more concrete about that.
2: Well I mean I think it starts for for me as a director it starts and i like to kind of gather all the tools that i have at my fingertips so that includes music and dance and puppets Mm -hmm. and magic and video projection and lights and sound are a huge part of our work and uh you know all the tricks all Mm -hmm. the stuff that i can Mm -hmm. get my hands on Mm -hmm. um and i and i'm and i feel fortunate to be Fairly gifted, jack of all trades, uh, and and a lot of those things, that, in a way that I like to use them yeah. in my in my work. Yeah. I mean, what's
0: fun about what you do is lots of people and lots of spectacle and lots of music and lots because which you can only do if you don't pay them too much, right? I mean, it's right. yeah, it's, it's one right. of the great things on about sh- all that non-equity, the yeah, right, the non-equity string theater in Chicago.
1: I mean, like using all those things that Aristotle and Brecht um, talk about in their in their how to do theater (laughs)
0: essays (laughs) Uh um like
1: you know like the idea of engaging every aspect of the audience's imagination with every element you can throw at them so Mm -hmm. that their entire brain and body is is activated Mm -hmm. is so awesome to me and that's 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 to me like that's the stuff that tommy's talking about and then when you're doing it on a shoestring budget it's different than like you know Rotating a giant six million dollar right. set in right. front of them—that's fantastic, fantastic, right? But doesn't require them to do any of the work right. to right. fill in the gaps. Instead,
2: we put them in a room with five doors and go like, right. "We're in a huge Victorian house. Here right. are five doors of it, right? Yeah. Or and we're going
1: to use every door as much as we can yeah. in all the crazy ways we can imagine." While singing and dancing and fighting and, right.
2: and all and kinds of stuff. And we don't have the $6 million mechanized Rat King that comes out of the floor at the end. But what we do have are like five heads on poles. Right. That's so it's like maximalist.
1: <laughs> Using as the final tool of our, of our goodie bag of fun theater tricks... Uh, your imagination mm-hmm. to right. help finish what we could spectacle afforded. right Shustring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shustring spectacle. <Yeah. laughs> um just one question i want to ask you tommy is how did you end up making the transition from dance to theater
2: um well i uh, i went to college with jake and our artistic director nathan allen mm-hmm. uh, as well as a good portion of the company we we all hailed from or some of us from southern methodist university in dallas and i was a dance major there but um i think by the time i left had ended up choreographing something like ten main stage plays for the mm-hmm. theater department. Um, Musicals? Uh, no, oh. s- no straight plays, which uh-huh. was kind of the uh, where I started to form my niche, um, which I'm still trying to form for myself, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, which is w- working with actors who aren't necessarily trained dancers. Um, and providing, uh, an, an element of spectacle to straight plays. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think my first show, I choreographed a waltz for the end of Dark Ride. Um, and then, uh, there was a swing number that one of the directors wanted to put into a Shakespeare play. Uh-huh. And that is where mm-hmm. I worked with Nate for the first time. And so after working with these, uh, these guys at SMU, um, when Nate was coming up here and starting the company, he was like, Hey, I'd really like you to come, uh, and be our, our dance guy. And I was like, I'm going to go and do a, be be a ballet dancer for a little while, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sounds really fun. Keep me posted. And uh, they were doing um, The Terrible Tragedy of Peter Pan. And I had a 12-week layoff one summer from my ballet company, which is how that goes. And so I um, sublet my apartment. I came up here and drank cheap beer and lived off unemployment and uh, did my first show at the house, which was a Terrible Tragedy of Peter Pan, and instantly fell in love. Um, I was already under contract, so I had to go and, and fulfill my next year in Memphis, but only looked for jobs here in Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. So then you got the Joffrey gig. And
2: then you got the Joffrey gig, and I was like, I'll take it because I wanted to work with the house. And that uh-huh. was kind of my day job while I was working wow. for the house at night. Yeah. Um, but just fell in love with the ethic of the company, this idea of making my own work as opposed to mm-hmm. um, being – uh, subjected, or not, just like subjected, subjected to the no, autistic like machine. Hold into <laughs> like, like classical choreography that's 50 years old, right. like getting to make my own stuff, right. and, with an, and collaborating with brilliant artists um who I really loved, and who I felt like were my family, what, was just too good to pass up. Right. Um, and so that's what brought me to Chicago, ultimately, and uh, I danced for a season with the Joffrey, and then left to uh, to work more at the house.
0: What's your day job now?
2: I don't have one. I right. gig together my living. I teach at Chicago Academy for the Arts. Um, uh, I teach at Northwestern in the winter quarter. I choreograph for a group of dancing violinists. I it's a patchwork quilt of yeah, a patchwork quilt of, <laughs> <a> patchwork <laughs> quilt of this yeah. and that. Right, right, right. <clears throat> then I choreograph all around.
0: All right, so let's go back to The Nutcracker. Sure. Yes. And we started with the E.T.A. Hoffman novella back in whatever that was. 18... Uh-huh. No, no, <laughs> you, the year you decided oh, to do the show. Oh, that was 2007. 2007. That was That way now. And um, uh, so you create... So what's your process? Um,
1: it all started in 2006 when Phil was starting to work on this adaptation and finding, I think, finding that... Unlike Peter Pan and The Wizard of Oz, there simply just wasn't as much to go on, yeah. and that a lot of the things that happened in the story weren't things that he was interested in, so he kind of left him with this messy pile of like, well, okay, we're stuck, We're we've we've got this... We've announced we're doing the Nutcracker, oh, really which is have... usually how our shows go. We're like announced that we're doing something. Or at we... least that's how it was in 2006. <laughs> that's how it was in 2006. There's nothing sure. like a deadline to yeah, get something yeah. done, right? We yeah. usually, usually <laughs> announce plays that have scripts now. But yeah. Um, So so he was like, well, what do we do with this thing? And, and uh, Phil and I kind of sat down with Tommy and with Kevin and other company members at the time too, helped us kind of hash out some basic ideas for the – for the story that we wanted to tell which started with a real desire to tell a story about christmas about the holidays um that was painful uh, something about a, a family yeah. that was having mm-hmm. a really hard christmas mm-hmm. which is something that many of us had personally experienced and the idea of of uh trying to get through a christmas when you're weighed down by the sadness of of who's not there celebrating with mm-hmm. you, and how what it's like to try to fill what's supposed to be a joyous time of year, when uh, when, when you you're having a hard time, empty. yeah, when okay. you're feeling sad and angry and empty and
0: stuff. This gives perhaps, however, a uh, distorted picture of what the show ultimately is because sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, no, that's, uh, I that's there you. and yet um, the experience of going to, I mean, you can take children. What what age limit do you think is right?
1: Yeah, people are tossing around a lot of different ages and I, I, I feel like it hits, I teach preschool so I have some authority on this. Yeah, market. I agree hmm? with you because <laughs> I'm kind of blind. <laughs> I think it's right in the six-year-old sweet spot. There's a lot of stuff for six and ups that I think is really engaging and will keep them totally enwrapped.
2: Into the play, yeah. for sure. Right. For
1: a long time. And that, and that if you're six or seven, some of the ideas, some of the darker ideas will kind of go right past the side of your mm-hmm. ear. Mm-hmm. And and you'll just find a lot of pleasure in the toys and stuff. I also feel and and have had some of my students who are younger than six come and see the play. Um, so I have, I've had four year olds the other night and one of my three year olds came and as long as there's a lap nearby for the scariest parts, um, they do just great and have Mm -hmm. followed along right along with the story and loved it. My, I had a three year old come the other night. Whose biggest concern the entire evening was where I was when I wasn't on stage. <laughs> so, there were a couple of times when like scenes, other scenes were playing out where I just hear like a little,
0: "Where's Jake?" <laughs> <laughs> really cute. It's so funny.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, but the four-year-olds especially, with mom and dad sitting next to them, mm-hmm. like or grandma or whatever, just like really had a great time.
2: Yeah, I have I have very brave nieces and nephews in a way that I can't imagine at six that they wouldn't be able to see the play. But I also know that. Every child is different. Um, that being said, I think that there's there's like a particular gift in watching a little girl like crawl into their mom's lap mm-hmm. in the in the play, and like watching that mom get to like put her arms around that little girl sure. <laughs> is, I think, a particularly sure. nice moment that I like watching. As, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I've seen the play with little kids who might tuck their eyes in certain moments or something, yeah.
1: and that mom and daughter like like experiencing and sharing mm-hmm. together. I mean, I think that there's a, you know there's maybe some reaction of like that four-year-old is covering their eyes or cr- or needing to crawl into mom's lap they're too young to be here and and I don't think that's necessarily the case I think the idea that like well you just need your mom to to share some courage with, with you right it. now right. and and then you can make it through this thing you need that's to cover your eyes point, and yeah. peek through and that's that goes back to
0: your idea of kind of practicing emotions in a safe place in yeah. a community well so okay so now we've we've you've kind of come well you we haven't said what your solution was but I'll say it yeah you created a story about um, what was the bratty brother Fritz, who now is a much older boy who's a soldier, and his death is what actually sets the story off. Right, and the family's healing over his death is really the journey of the play, and particularly how they respond to the little sisters, Clara's needs. Yeah, did I say that well? That's, yeah. Absolutely, That's yeah. We,
2: you know, we kind of um, we kind of combined the ideas of Fritz and the Nutcracker, right. um, which I I you know I've always thought it was. Uh, from the ballet, uh, there are plenty of essays and grad grad papers about um, the psychosexual undertones of Drosselmeyer and Clara in the right, ballet. Right. Um, and so I always thought that it was a little. I always, I've always thought that's a little strange, you know, that she like falls in love at twelve with this nutcracker and he sweeps her away. Um, and the character of Fritz is kind of a, just a just a brat in the ballet. Right, right. Um, and so we saw a real opportunity to put those hands together to create. Uh, a non-sexual character right. out of the character of the Nutcracker, um, you know, like a non-love relationship that was well, just as uh, meaningful. It is love, really. a sibling. Yeah. I'm sorry, not a... sibling instead of lover, filial love, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. romantic thing, not a romantic love mm-hmm. um, between those characters, and as well as um, give some real weight to the fam- the loss. You know, right. uh, Nutcrackers are traditionally soldiers, so it made a lot of sense yep. when we started seeing the the math of the story come together. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah, that it, the elements that you've pulled together make so much sense and make honestly so much more sense <laughs> than the story, <laughs> at least of the ballet. I've never read, read the novella. Um, now, I understand that the show, I didn't see the original production, mm-hmm. um, but I understand that it has evolved quite a bit. Talk about that process. You've done a show. It's been on its feet. It was successful. You say we're going to remount it. How do you decide whether to reinvent it and how to reinvent it
2: well we i i have fond memories of the 2007 production sure. but i definitely felt like that was a plane that we brought into the hangar with like yeah in a way that uh it was incredibly successful it was a mm-hmm. holiday play at the at steppenwolf and so a lot of their subscriber audience was drawn to it mm-hmm. um they had no idea they were seeing a house play, but it was it was nice that a lot of people saw it.
1: Yeah, a lot of people um, saw it. Um
2: it met with some some good critical acclaim, mm-hmm. um, although there were certainly flaws um which were not overlooked. Uh and so it uh I, I, as soon as it opened, was like, Oh man, I can't wait to get another crack at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you we know, can do that better. We could do that better. Yeah. There's there the the story still had a lot of untapped potential. Mm-hmm. And um I think and the storytelling as well.
1: One thing that we kind of did three years ago, I think, ultimately, what we put on stage three years ago was a was a probably darker, psychologically darker. Very psychological. Yeah, story. there was a lot of stuff in the production three years ago which we stripped away about about the parents suspecting that Clara is losing her mind. Was mm-hmm. um,
2: this like? Nebulous threat of her being sent away. Yeah, that perhaps she needs to be institutionalized. Yeah, it was very... So it
1: was kind of like retaining some of that... I mean, it was kind of like Dickensian darkness. Like, <laughs> and a sure. lot of, you know, it was just kind of like... It was like scary. Some really scary stuff that that ultimately didn't serve the story that we were trying to tell
0: did you all agree about that i could imagine someone saying no that's so great that's crucial uh, i mean i, I think th-
1: we agreed i think we did agree i think we did yeah, agree about that we I knew where the we right knew that we knew how to punch up stuff and and maintain the darkness that was serving the story mm-hmm. um but also mm-hmm. how to let go of the stuff that was just kind of f- there from this tonal push at like no, make it darker, make it darker, make it darker. <laughs> yeah, make it, you know, make and, her
2: crazier. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and this time around it was kind of like, all right, now we need some jazzy musical numbers and some funny rats. Let's go. <laughs> well,
2: and, and I think m- m- perhaps more to the point is what we needed from that we didn't have from the 2007 production was like something to fight for instead of everything to fight yeah, against.
1: Yeah, the whole thing last three years ago was, this, was the idea that Clara was obsessed with the idea that rats were invading to destroy Christmas from the very beginning of the story. Had been talking her parents her thought toys. she was crazy, but mm-hmm. she was talking to her toys and preparing for their Im- imminent downfall. Basically, yeah. it's been nice knowing you all. We're going to be dead on Christmas Day. Basically, was her was how she started the play, and then the Nutcracker comes along to help her. But the but what he's helping her with is mounting a defense
0: uh-huh.
1: against so yeah, the, the idea
0: of the saving christmas of bringing christmas back is new to this production exactly yeah. uh-huh. or that as the,
1: the goal is, yeah. is new for
2: sure mm-hmm. that that is our like super objective that is our thing to work for right is new and and i think really helps us hit home yeah. closer to the heart of the story because it's about um not necessarily about christmas as a spiritual holiday or anything like that but as a time to be with the people
0: that it's really a story about, about family it's, it's I, I would really call it period. it's a romance in the sense of a shakespearean romance where it's yeah. the reunion of yeah. you know the sister and the brother or the it father and the a, sister or whatever with the
1: death and and, and concludes and with the, a, a kind a reunion. of reunion and yeah yeah
0: um there's a wonderful book called uh it's a book about rituals in contemporary life and i can't remember now but it's by a psychologist and talking about how we have fewer cultural rituals and families have to invent their own. And there's a chapter in it about uh, rituals after a loss specifically and how the human tendency is to not want to do the things that you've always done, to give up on traditions, yeah. which is exactly what your play is about. And yeah. um, the just so you know, the good housekeeping seal of approval advice is, no, no, you have to...
2: You have to to continue
0: and reinvent traditions. You can't, like, pretend that nothing's changed and you can So, anyway, that's just a gloss because it really – I said, oh, that's just like in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. it's true. Yeah.
2: My my mother was in town for the Thanksgiving holiday. um, And she saw the show in 2007. Uh, She doesn't get up to Chicago a lot. So it was exciting for her to be here. And um, uh, after the show, she was crying. Um, she's not really a crier, my mom, mm. but she was, and she looked at me and she's, and she said, uh, I've been thinking about skipping Christmas this year. Um, I wasn't going to put up a tree, but now I'll, I i can not wait to go home and have all the grandchildren over and put up oh. the tree together. Cause I think it's really important. Um, she lost her sister last year and. Oh, wow. So uh, this went
0: right to her. Yeah. It
2: hit very close to home. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I thought that was the biggest compliment I, I could have gotten
0: yeah Out of the show, yeah, that must have been awfully gratifying mm-hmm. <laughs> and your own mom yeah. yeah um well maybe one more thing to talk about uh in, at seven wolf was the show in the round
1: no no yeah the upstairs theater we were we were uh i think one some of the newest people to use their new uh design of that space which is which is a
2: an incredibly proscenium, proscenium yeah house. a rake yeah.
1: proscenium house and uh it's nice but it was proscenium which is not something that we were used to working on at that oh, point
2: it's, mm-hmm. i think it was only the second house <laughs> show in the history of house shows that it was in proscenium yeah um it was a big challenge for us and it was really hard to talk to the audience to feel mm-hmm. close to them mm-hmm. and it was on it was the first thing when it, when we were in in the when we knew we were doing it at the Chopin, it was the first thing that I knew. I was like, we just have to...
0: Configure it. Well. We have to
2: configure it in a way that the audience can see each other. Yeah. Uh, and Colette Pollard, our brilliant scenic designer, figured out some crazy math to to put it in the round. And I just... Yeah. As soon as as soon as I looked at the model, I was like, "This is it. It's got to be this."
0: I've always thought that, um, particularly fight choreography, is extremely challenging in the round. I mean, you create a lot of problems for yourself when you work in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> may, can you think of an example? Just because it's fun for outsiders to to see how a problem arose and then how it was solved of, a, of something that was, was created by in the, in the round.
1: round. One big problem this time around is is the. But, I think we solved pretty well is that the character of Teddy um, is a giant puppet um, mm-hmm. that I operate, and so it's just like a giant teddy bear that sits in front of me and so in the proscenium, we used the same same puppet three years ago, and in the proscenium, it was great because I just cheat out stage and everybody can see the bear and nobody can really see me and it's perfect and uh, this time around it was like well, half the audience is going to be looking at. My back and not be able to see the bear half the time. Yeah. So I mean, the solution to that particular problem was just that Teddy always plays from the doors. Yeah, from the bomb that surround the space, and mm-hmm. and just kind of. So you you know, you're
0: actually a little bit behind the front of the audience, and, and even yeah. those, yeah.
1: And then and then he's seen, you know, and then he moves around, but he he moves from one good spot to another good it's very spot. Very meticulously Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, uh, I think. Going into it, I was worried about the opening party scene because we knew that we wanted a big Christmas tree right in the middle of the stage, which ultimately meant that you can't see the whole stage. (laughs) The funny thing about in the round, as Jake said, in the middle of our rehearsal process is that you can't do anything wrong, but you have to do everything right. You have to put your back to the right spot every time. But you can always, especially in our work where we're talking to the audience so much and we have sides and break the fourth wall. That being able to see an audience member everywhere you look is is a, really a gift. I, mm-hmm. I love yeah. I love acting in the round. Yeah, directing in the round. It was my first show to do in the round. It was challenging, but it was very cool. Very gratifying. It was really I fun love to love work
0: it. on it. This was your first show working in the round, just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so. Did that keep you up at night? No, no, <laughs>
2: no. I feel like um, because of my many years of dance, uh-huh. uh, honestly, I, I feel like um, one of my strengths as a director is being able to compose bodies in space. Right. Right. It's I see pictures very easily, and I understand why people are moving. And it's yeah, it's right. where, really it's where I start, honestly, um, which is sometimes to the consternation of the poor actors who have to work backward. <laughs> we have a
1: really exciting uh, fight sequence in the in that takes place in the attic um, in in this version, particularly uh, in 2007. It was it was a, it was smaller because there was only one rat to fight against. But now it's all the toys and Fritz and Clara fighting against three rats, and uh, it's in the round. And I think that Tommy and Chris Matthews, our assistant director, who co-choreographed the fight together, Mm -hmm. um, did an awesome job basically just like keeping everybody moving and so many things are happening at once Mm -hmm. that for those tiny little, you know, fight choreography moments where it's like, okay, you're not actually making contact here, and these people... Would be able to see it if they weren't distracted by the monkey banging the symbols right in front of their eyes. Like <laughs> right, there's all kinds right, of cool right, stuff like that. Right, so, right. Yeah,
2: a lot of um, it, it, it's it, a lot of it was either misdirection. On the on the long diagonal, you know, like, look, o- hey, everyone, look over here, look over here. Something uh. <laughs> over here is happening, but don't look over here, look over here. Right. Or misdirection by cacophony. <laughs> There's just yeah. so much to look at There's that so you're not going to catch any of the problems or there'll be something yeah, totally. to see even
0: if you do. Exactly. Right, right, right. Totally. That's interesting. Well, um, if you had to do it, if you had it to do one more time, what would you change?
1: Well, hopefully we will do it one more time. And then one more time after that. And one more and time, more time after that? We'd love to do it again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I would
2: love to do
0: it
1: again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What would, what would we change? Are there thing?
0: things that you still... There are... Um, There's probably a couple of I things. I
1: don't know that we've compiled our list of...
0: No.
2: Uh, there are some changes. little things that I... I you know, like... Uh, we, we make two cut, two kinds of cuts we, we, in when we get into tech yeah and we call one of them uh you know story cuts right, you know like right. we need to facilitate the telling of the story in a better way let's get all this fat out of the way and mm-hmm. meaningless garbage yeah um and then there are golden acts of mercy cuts which are the the cuts that we make um to get stuff honestly out of the performer's way most of the time or the technician's way or whatever it is like let's get that stuff out of the way so that we can make sure that everything that makes it to opening night is excellent uh-huh. and nothing – and not that everything is kind of good, but everything is really good. Right. Um, and there are a couple of those things that I'm I, I I'm, You'd put back I in. I'd put in back in. You, know, so you mean like, if
0: you could figure out how to do it in a uh-huh. way that that worked and yeah, wasn't getting had, right. I really another, wish we did have the exactly blah, blah, like, blah, but not this oh, compromised one. If we had, had yeah.
2: more than our first draft idea of this thing right. at this point, yeah. at this stage right. in the game, maybe we right. that would be another right. moment, but – yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I'm very happy with the play. I think it's um, yeah, me too. really fun and really moving, and uh, I I love it.
0: <laughs> well, um, last question: What is your favorite moment in the show? Either one of you.
2: Um, my my favorite moment in the play is something that I like woke up in the middle of the night and thought about. And never actually thought it would make it to opening night because (laughs) it was totally harebrained and ridiculous, but made me think of. the Muppet Show. Uh, early on, when we were talking about the play, we, <laughs> we were like, "Okay, we want the show—the show to kind of feel like The Muppet Show meets Edward Scissorhands." <laughs> and so, <laughs> this kind of sit, was sitting in the back of my brain. And in, in the way that, like, The Muppet Show is totally awesome to still watch as an adult, but I remember as a kid mm-hmm. was also super fun. And there are plenty of jokes that go over the, right. uh, the, the kids' heads that land right on the adults. And this is one of them for me. Is <laughs> there's a moment in the cookie baking? They are baking cookies, and uh, and monkey asks can phoebe be the one to use the beater and then she pulls it up and it's like texas chainsaw massacre or something yeah she's, she's like, like some kind of mad she's like a cookie mad beater scientist, scientist with a beater and it's like the, we hear a wolf howl and and, she's and and then you know you know crickets in the distance and um it makes me laugh every time and i just think it's ridiculous and hilarious and completely absurd and captures a very specific thing that I wanted to get yeah. out of the play, uh-huh. which is like, definitely... let's play as much pretend as possible, which is why the rats have British accents yeah. and the monkey has a French accent. And, uh, yeah. you, a lot, you know, it's and like fun total, to let's play pretend for a Total like, two like Muppet non sequiturs that are just yeah. like right. delightful. Uh, and a lot of them ended up on the cutting room floor. So I'm yeah. glad that, that that one, one survived. <laughs> right. right.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I think that does convey a little bit of the quality of the show. It Beyond, you know, the psychological depths of it, and um, and the very moving family reunion story. Well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Anne.